Let me read for you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning with verse, okay, 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn man is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared for in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Thanks be for the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Thank you for that faithful reading. So here's the deal. We're going to talk about division today, which is maybe not what you expected for a Christmas Eve homily or sermon. Um, but the, the path we've been on for the last several weeks is the, the path of peace. Is Peace is one of the grand promises of the Christmas season. And so we've been journeying 
deeper into God's peace for us these last several weeks, we've talked about things like, how do we achieve world peace that everybody wants? How do we, how do we find peace in the midst of anxiety? How do we find peace when we're afraid? Things like that is what we've been looking at. And today we're gonna talk about how do we find peace when we feel like we're in the midst of deep division. And so um, you you don't need me to spend a lot of time on a sermon today telling you how divided our world is, or um, we've never been more divided than we are today, or the world's on fire, or all these just very obvious, clear realities that we just live in a world that is fractured and divided. And so I hope to not spend a ton of time trying to convince you of divisive things, or even like helping you to identify divisions in your own lives, whether it's with relationships or something deep in your own heart that make you feel divided or conflicted. But what I do hope is that we can get to a pretty practical place today of how do we find peace even while we're in divisive times or in divisive relationships or as division uh, swarms over us. And that's why I think it's really interesting that the passage that was read this morning from Luke 2, 22 to 38, is that you may have noticed this was right after the birth of Jesus. So that's another unexpected thing. It's like, okay, it's Christmas Eve. Why are we reading about after Jesus was born? And well, it's because I think it's a really cool story that is somewhat neglected in the Christmas story. And it's a story about two individuals who I, who I think are really amazing people and probably are not given their due as faithful believers in God in the story, because it's kind of in between the birth story, which we all know, and then a lot of the ministry stories of Jesus after he was grown up. This is one of the few stories that's about Jesus as an infant right after he was born. And so the two people we learn about are a man named Simeon and a woman named Anna. And so just to um, summarize a little bit about these two folks, just so you just so they get their due on a day like today. They need to be celebrated on as, as really wonderful examples of faith, especially on a day like today. But Simeon, it says, he was a righteous and devout person and he was waiting on the Messiah to be born. He'd waited his whole life for the Messiah to be born. And it even said that in verse 26, he would not see death. God had promised him that he would not see death until the coming of the Lord's Christ. The Holy Spirit was upon him, it said. This guy was a, he was a spiritual giant. And in verse 27, it said, he came in the spirit into the temple and the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus because they had to do this ritual, you know, customary thing of, of walking him through the purification rites, which is what all Israel, Israelite people would do with their newborn baby. But he came to see Jesus and he took him in his arms. And can you imagine the power of that moment for this guy? His whole life had been leading up to this moment, essentially. You would not see death until you met the Messiah. He held Jesus in his arms. And then this is what he said. He blessed him, blessed God by saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant Depart in peace. So division, right off the bat, doesn't have to be something where it's like two people fighting against each other. Division actually can just be the in-between place of waiting for something and then it arriving. And then once it comes, Simeon's like, I'm at peace. 
you can, you can take me now, Lord. How many, how many times have you caught yourself say that? Like whenever you reach the pinnacle of something that you've been working hard for, Lord, you can just take me now. Like I'm on the top. But Simeon really was there. He's like, I'm on the top. I met, I met the Messiah. Like my life is, I'm at peace now. Amazing. And then he blesses Mary and Joseph soon after. And this is where it gets really interesting. He starts explaining more about what the Messiah or the Christ is going to do. Did you catch this? Verse 34, he says, he's saying this to Mary and Joseph, by the way, just a reminder, like this is to the parents. Simeon says, behold, this child, your baby, is appointed for the fall and the rising of many people in Israel for a sign that is opposed and a sword that will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Whoa. Simeon's like, do you know what this baby's about to do? He's going to split the world. And he's even going to split your own soul, Mary. And I was reading a little bit about that. That means if you flash forward to the cross, when Jesus is hanging on the cross 33 years later, Mary, his mother, is standing at the foot of the cross. And that's what's happening here. A sword is piercing through her soul at that moment. The baby she brought into the world is being sacrificed for the sins of the world. And yet, as you walk through Jesus' story, it's also Jesus is dividing every group he walks into, every room he walks into, every, every group that he's in. He seems to leave with some people follow him and rejoice in him, and other people hated him and said, this guy's a heretic. Split the rise and fall of many. Jesus, in some sense, is, is a divider. He's the divider of human history. We'll get into that in just a moment. But let's get into this. the second woman, the, the, the first woman, the second person, is Anna. And she just gets a couple of verses here, and then she fades off into history. We don't know anything else about her. Three verses, and it says she's a prophetess in the land of Israel at the time, verse 36. And um, it says that she did not depart from the temple. She worshiped and she fasted, praying day and night. She was there all the time. She was a faithful, devoted person. And in verse 38, it says that she came up at that very hour. What very hour? Well, the same time that Simeon, I guess, was there too. She came up at the same hour and she gave thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. I mean, here's another woman who's been waiting. Again, she's fasting and worshiping all day, every day. It doesn't say explicitly for the coming of the Messiah, but it's kind of implied that she's now also kind of reached the pinnacle of the point of her prayers, the point of her fasting. And she's like, I got to meet this guy. And when she meets the baby, she's like, I'm going to tell everybody I know. So I think what's in common about both of these people is that they were, they were great examples of, of two people who were just undivided in their devotion to Jesus. Again, they didn't know that was, his name was Jesus at the time until they met him, but they knew he was the Christ. They knew he was the one who had come to save Israel and to save the people from their sins. These folks were just uh, waiting to see what life was going to be all about and who was going to fix it. And Jesus was the answer to these two people's dreams. And so that's their due. And so as we walk into this sermon on division, I just want to give two big points because I think it's kind of following after the heart of Simeon and Anna, 
this morning. And maybe it's going to meet you where you are in your own heart today too, or someone that may need to hear this in your own life that you could forward this on to. But the two points are this, broken world, beautiful restoration. If we're talking about division, then that's implying brokenness. And so uh, the first point here about broken world is for the people that were living in Israel at the time, they, they were living in a divided existence. So they were living under Roman rule, meaning that they, were, they didn't get to make their own laws anymore. They just were kind of under the ruthless rule of the Roman Empire. And they had their customs that they could still do. They could operate generally, but they were under heavy oppression. Um, and they were, they were divided in their own sects of, uh, of Israel. And they had the different, they had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Essenes, all these different groups of people. They couldn't quite put it all together. They were divided people. Sound like a country we live in today too, right? I'm not going to go deeper into that. But just division is just part of a broken world. As you, as you develop and as you put structures together, things just naturally find their own pockets and you divide. Broken world means division. Division is brokenness, whether it's between individual relationships. Each of us in this room have been divided with another person at some point in our life. And again, let's just keep this practical. If you're divided with another person currently, use today as a spur to figure out how that can be restored. Because we're going to talk at the end of the service how we should strive for peace with all people. But brokenness means that we're broken between individual relationships. It means that communities are broken and divided in and of themselves. And this all comes from Places of bitterness or hastiness or selfishness even, a lack of empathy or compassion or a lack of understanding. And it just needs to be said, obviously, that division is not the way it's supposed to be. Division is not the way the world is supposed to be. And it's not the way God created the world to be. God didn't create the world with division or brokenness or schisms as part of our the, the good plan. This is a this is a rebellious act that broke the good plan. So we've talked about Genesis 3 every week, the fall of Adam and Eve. That's what brought division into the world. It broke Adam and Eve's relationship with God. It broke Adam and Eve's trust with one another. It broke Adam and Eve's um, succession plan with Cain and Abel, how they were divided afterward. Division entered the world through rebellion against God's good way. It split humanity right down the middle. Last week I talked about a theologian who says that evil runs right down the middle of each and every one of us. So it's not just someone else's fault out there, but the division really does start in our own heart as well. So unity was the original design of God, but it's become really difficult to be unified. I mean, just again, stating the obvious, it's really difficult to find unity, to be on the same page, to click. And that's why when you do click, or when you are unified, it's so exciting, right? I heard someone describe one time that friendship is when you say to someone else, oh, you think that way too. Or, oh, you like that also. Or, oh, you saw that also. It's when you click with someone. That's what friendship is. That's why we get so excited when we make friends. Because it's, it's different than what you normally first start out with. We kind of start with this baseline of difference or division. And when you click, it feels great. And marriage obviously is like that. 
really good church communities can be like that, where you walk in and you feel welcome or accepted or warmly received. It's like, wow, this is great because I loved this, but I kind of forgot that it was possible. But unity can be really difficult. Division, obviously, at its worst, can lead to death. Like if you just stay divided all the time, then things just naturally will die from that. Um, Again, it's not good for man to be alone. So if you just divide yourself with every other person in the world, then you'll die because you'll die from lack of relationship. We need those relationships with one another. Churches die when they divide and they split because they lose all their steam, all their momentum. Nations die when they continue to split and they're divided because they fight with one another. It just must be said here too that again, if, if division exists in each one of us, if, if evil exists in each one of us, like we mentioned last week, then I just have to say this. Don't be a person of division. Don't be the one who stirs up division. If there's a, if there's a theme throughout each of the New Testament letters that is common in almost every one of the, the writings of Paul, which he's writing to individual churches, is almost every single church, he tells them the same thing, which is be, be wary of those who stir up division among you. Because churches can fall prey to finding divisiveness in their own places. And so last week I preached from Romans 16, but right before that passage and the beginning parts of that chapter, Paul says this, I appeal to you brothers, watch out for those who cause division, who create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine you've been taught, avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So just don't be that person. Don't be a person who stirs up division. Be a person who who pursues unity. We'll get to that at the end. But I do want to say this too. There is division as as a concept is bad. However, division also can serve good purposes. Again, I'm not telling you to go pursue division. Please don't. But what I am saying is that sometimes division can kick things forward in a healthy way. So here's just a couple of examples. Um, I read somewhere a story of um, a a new house that was being constructed. So this person was all excited because they were moving into a brand new house that was newly constructed. And um, so they move into this house. Everything's perfect. And then after a couple of months, a little crack started going up the side of the wall. So this guy was, why is there a crack in my brand new house and in my wall? So he called up contractor or whatever, and they came in and they said, this is how houses settle into their new foundation. Is sometimes that's just part of the natural process of settling into a foundation for the long term. Is it does create a small crack. It's nothing to be worried about, but it actually is just a sign of growth a sign of settling in, that naturally there will be some crack or division that'll emerge and it's nothing to be worried about. Or sometimes division can be revealing a a need for correction. So I read a story recently, uh, this was a couple of years ago, where down south on uh, Interstate 40, in between Tennessee and Arkansas, so there's a bridge that connects the borders, it goes over the Mississippi River, and there's a big bridge, how long is it? I don't know, it's a, it's a big bridge. It's not the biggest bridge in the country, but it's a big bridge. It goes over the Mississippi River. And um, there was discovered a significant fracture 
in one of the 900 foot beams that was holding the bridge up. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a problem. And here's the bigger problem. There was a person who inspected that bridge just recently and they missed it. They missed the significant fracture in the bridge. And so obviously like when they did discover it, luckily they had to reroute things. It was gonna cost you know, a lot of money to fix it. It cost truckers a lot of money to reroute and go different ways. And the, the, the Arkansas Department of Transportation director said this. He says, the way we're supposed to inspect the bridge is you literally go inch by inch across a beam and physically inspect each inch of the beam. And he said, that did not happen. He says, the bridge's damage could have led to a catastrophic event had it not been discovered. And so the inspector who failed to discover it was fired because he missed it. But fortunately, they did discover it, and so therefore they could, they could move on from it and, um, and redeem it. And that's the last point here about division is that even on one step deeper, division can actually be the first step towards redemption. And that's where I hope in your heart you're saying amen, please, because <laughs> we live in a divided world, and so there has to be some purpose to this. And there is, is that division is the first step in a broken world towards redemption. As humans, we need ways to be reminded of our deeper need for wholeness, for peace, and for beauty in life. So again, what is peace? Peace in the biblical term, peace in God's vocabulary. Peace is wholeness. Peace is when things are put back together, when they are right, when every piece is aligned when there's nothing missing, nothing out of whack. Peace is wholeness. Peace doesn't mean just stillness or tranquility. Peace means that every piece is in the right place. And so for us, we need to be reminded of ways that we, we need to be striving for that. Um, and so there's, there's one writer here that says, to receive God's grace, the main thing you need is need. The main thing you need for grace is need. And he is, as he says, many people don't have that. Many people, many of us, even myself, we go through our days and we forget that we need something. And so therefore we don't receive grace because we don't, we don't have any need for it. We don't create the space for need in our life. And so to be broken and to be divided exposes a gap and shows us our need for it to be brought back together. So I've used this illustration before, but there's no better illustration than this one. In the Asian world, there's something called kintsugi, which is when if you drop a jar or a pot and it shatters into a hundred pieces, what do you and I do mostly? Sweep it up, put it in the trash, throw it away. Let's go buy another one. Capitalism at its finest. Uh, in the Asian world, what a lot of places do now, a lot of artistic, beautiful crafters of pottery, what they do when you break a pot, you sweep up all the pieces, put them into a dustpan, put it back up on the table. And they actually take gold lining and put the jar back together piece by piece, but it lines with gold 
so that when it's put back together weeks or months later, you see the original jar or pot that's put back together. It looks like the same jar in terms of its shape, but it's lined with gold so that each part of the fracture is now lined with gold. And you see the fullness of a jar being put back together, but you also see the presence of where the gaps used to be, but is now filled with gold lining. And they're spectacularly more beautiful than what they were before through the redemption process of being put back together. And so that's why on the front of the bulletin, when this author Wendell Berry says, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker, and then Jesus is born. That's the hope that we step into on Christmas Eve is that the darkness of evil, of anxiety, of grief, of pain, of division, it gets darker and darker and darker and darker, but then Jesus is born. And Jesus is, is the one that puts it back together. He puts us back together with a gold lining to make it more beautiful than it was even before. Jesus came to stand in the gap of humanity, to stand in that gap of brokenness and to bring it back together to, so that he, can, he himself could be our peace. Ephesians 2 says, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The one who was born in the manger now has given his life for us and it's his blood that has brought us together. It goes on to say, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He himself is our peace. He stood in the middle of our human division. As another theologian, D. Blair Smith says, the miracle of the incarnation or of God becoming human is that this one person became everything that we are, fully human, entering into a world of sin, entering into a world of division and pain and hardship and evil. He became everything that we are without ceasing to be everything that he is. He's the only one who could step into brokenness and not be broken. He's the only one that could step into sin and not be sinful. He's the only one that could step into evil and not fall into the evil traps of the world. He stood in the gap. And therefore, he's the one that can put us back together and line us with gold and present us with splendor back to God. Only he can do that. And it started at the manger. It started on Christmas Eve. So the beautiful restoration then. That's basically just this passage that I gave you here. This is just one example of the beautiful restoration that the New Testament gives us. This is Colossians chapter three, verses 12 to 17. It's printed in your bulletins. I encourage you to put it on your bedside, tape it on your mirror in your bathroom, put it on your dashboard in your car. This is what it looks like to be restored, what it looks like to be a person of peace, to not be one who stirs up to vision, to be one who has put their faith in the peacemaking God and then lives as a person of peace as a result. Faith in Jesus brings you the peace of God personally and it turns enemies into friends again. It turns strangers into brothers and sisters. It turns friends into family. It turns division into unity. It takes brokenness and puts us back together. So let me just read this passage, Colossians 3, 12 to 17. As a result 
of putting your faith in Jesus, this is what's possible for you. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. By the way, that's not by your works. That's not by something great that you do. You're not chosen because you were born in a certain place or you look a certain way, or you did a good thing. You are God's chosen one because of grace that you just get to stick your hands out and to receive. So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were indeed called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, to the Father, through him. I counted at least 14 peacemaking points that you can take with you right today, just from that. And it, Again, I could do a 14-point sermon on each one and really break it down, but instead, maybe just receive it. Receive the simplicity of just put this stuff on because in Christ, you're able to wear that. You're able to wear each of those 14 things and you can change the world around you for that through those things. You know, there's a, there's a, a self-help book out there that's very popular by Stephen Covey called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Maybe some of you have read it. There's some good things in there. One of the things he says is, we achieve inner peace when our schedule aligns with our values. So let me just take that and apply it to the Bible. Align these 14 things with your schedule, with your life. Just drag these things into your life and you're not gonna be perfect at them. You're not gonna just achieve it right away but align these things with your life. Make it part of your daily life and that'll give you more than just inner peace, like a tranquility and a lack of stress. It's deeper than that. It'll actually give you the peace that surpasses all understanding, the shalom of God, the wholeness of what life is meant to be like. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, it says. And so as we walk away from Advent, because that's what today is. Today is a, walking away from Advent because Jesus is born tomorrow morning in the church calendar. And then it's a, what do we do with Jesus as he lives among us? How do we live the Christian life? As we walk away from this, we just be reminded that Jesus is the one that brings true world peace in the truest, fullest, most complete way. That Jesus is the one who brings peace over all of your anxieties that when life feels the most out of control, Jesus himself is the peace that surpasses all understanding. That Jesus is the one who brings peace when you're afraid over every one of your fears. When you feel the most afraid, Jesus is the assurance that you are never truly alone or forgotten in this world. That Jesus brings ultimate peace over evil. That there will be a day where there is no more evil. Where Satan and evil and everything that is destructive to us will be forever gone. I meant to mention this last week. 
Do you know how, how quick the battle of Armageddon is in the Bible? So like we all, like most of us know the term Armageddon. It's like this big, like final war at the end of all time between good and evil. You know how much time the Bible spends on the battle of Armageddon? A half a verse. It's like the whole story of humanity builds up to this one climactic battle in Revelation. And it takes half a verse for God to defeat Satan forever. That's how, that's how big of a mismatch it is. God will bring peace over evil. And then finally, Jesus brings peace over division. When relationships feel the most divided, when cracks emerge in your life, just know that Jesus shows his grace all the more and brings beauty from ashes and peace from division. So as we finish our service today, we're gonna, we're gonna sing two songs. And the first one I wanna encourage you to, um, to sit with it prayerfully. So I'm gonna ask you to remain seated. Um, the lyrics will be on the screen. You're, you're encouraged to sing with it if you want. Um, it's, a, it's a newer song called Behold the Lamb of God. And our worship team will lead us into worship. But use it as a, as a chance just to kind of, to come to grips with these last four weeks of the different elements of peace that we've encountered. Um, and then at the conclusion of that song, we'll invite you to stand and sing, Go Tell It on the Mountain uh, to finish our service this morning. Would you remain seated? Um, use this as a time of prayer, of contemplation, as our worship team leads us and behold the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Mm-hmm.